The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Tom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Thomas Enerho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. Folks, I want to tell you about another show in the network you are sure to enjoy. I think Thomas will agree with me. It's The Secrets of Star Wars. Definitely. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> want to be listening to The Secrets of Star Wars right now because they're talking about, and I, I was actually on it recently, and I kind of usurped in there because, you know, I'm the boss, so I can I can jump in, you know. Uh, actually, I was filling in for Father Andrew. But it's we're talking about the Kenobi series. It's very exciting. Opinions vary. Uh, I'll just warn you, mm-hmm. opinions are varying. Good discussion. We do not hate without... You know, like without uh, having good, you know, we don't just hate things. We discuss and we have critiques um, and uh, we yeah, all. I, I would say we don't even uh, like there hasn't been a point where we've really just, you know, downed on something. Yes. It's it's always like, a, here's my opinion about why these things are the way they are. And then we have a discussion about it and move on and just keep going. A bunch Star of people Wars. That, we all love Star Wars. Yes, a bunch <laughs> of people that love Star Wars and want to talk about it and uh, dig into it. And there's been some great episodes lately. We've, Father Andrew is great at getting guests on like big names, mm. big people uh, recently had. Um, oh, what is his name? The author. Uh, <laughs> I completely sorry. lost it. The notes. author of the John novel. Jackson Miller. Jo- yes. You thank go. you. Who wrote the <laughs> novel Kenobi. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry. I'm going on and on and on because I'm so excited about Secrets of Star Wars. You should definitely check it out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Uh, it's it's I'm recording this after having watched the latest episode of Kenobi. So I'm really excited about it. <laughs> so let's but i'm something else i'm very excited about because it's one of the high holy days of apple fans uh we, we've just had uh we just had the worldwide developer conference apple's uh annual conference that for programmers who make software that run on their devices and they do this every year and at the beginning of this conference they always have a talk where they reveal the latest software updates that are coming for their devices for the various Mac OS, iOS, TVOS, watch OS, all the OSs. And uh, so we're going to talk about not everything. Cause we just, we don't want to be here for two hours. There are lots of like Mac focused podcasts where you can get all of that really in depth, but we'd like to cover some of the things that we think are the highlights that most of our audience might be interested in. Now, I just realized as we started this a month ago, the three of us talked about Google I.O. and their updates, mm-hmm. their hardware mm-hmm. and some of their software. Uh, so it's kind of fun to have you back and to talk about Apple's updates. And maybe we can do a little comparison of where they both are and that sort of thing. But, Jack, you had an interesting observation as we, just before we got started about where we are with these, you know, reveals and announcements of, of stuff. Uh, could you repeat that? Yeah, it's it's cool to see all these updates and a lot of them I'm really excited about, like especially the um, stage manager stuff coming to iPad. That's going to be cool to see. But so much of this is we've kind of peaked with tablet and computer and smartphone technology. So so many of these updates are really just fit and finish quality of life things like I don't think we're really going to see like a big new surprise, awesome feature for smartphones or tablets until we start getting into like the VR headsets and things like that. Mm-hmm. Holographic yep. displays, you know, right. the, like that, the, the, like the stuff you see in science fiction, you know, you I think you're right. We're, we're in the incremental phase of, of, of software updates to these things. Uh, not, not uh, big revolutionary changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all, they're all waiting. And I think this is, a, it's a really interesting time because they all have the technology to move that next step to do like the Google glass, you know, the, the, the wearables that are beyond just your phone or your watch and nobody wants to pull the trigger on it. And I'm, I'm intrigued at why I wonder what, what kind of uh, customer uh, feedback they've gotten, you know, what, what kind of focus groups they've done that have said, Oh no, we don't want that. That doesn't, because right. I'm like, I'm waiting for it. Where's, where's my, where's my glasses? <laughs> I have a feeling it's about scale. It's about making the things unobtrusive, small, 
long battery life. I think it's those those things. There are there are a couple like for especially for like glass, the glasses, the wearables. There's a couple things holding these things back that we're waiting for the technological leap, the battery leap, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to power that. If you have a VR glasses that only last six hours, that's pointless. You know, you, it needs to last all day, like my watch or my phone, which should last all day, but often doesn't, you know, but <laughs> these things need to last a long time. And then they have to be small and unobtrusive. And you don't want like a big chunky thing with a huge lens facing everybody all day, like Google Glass did, you know? And I think it's some of those things that are really holding it back. I, mm-hmm. That's, that's a guess, of course, but uh, that's my, that's my, my take on it. It's a solid guess. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things they announced. And uh, one of the, the first thing or among the first things that they talked about was something that is going to affect nearly everyone who has an iPhone and every Android user went, well, duh, which is the (laughs) the updates to the lock screen on your iPhone. And uh, (laughs) basically it a lot, they're going to let us, they're going to change it up. It's you're going to be able to personalize it. You're going to be able to put a couple of widgets on it. Like the widgets that are like the watch complications so they're not like mm-hmm. full featured widgets like you used to on your on your iPhone screen, but uh, they're going to allow for more customization. And they're also changing the way notifications work so that they don't cover the entire screen, that they kind of roll up from the bottom and kind of stack down there, which I think is nice. Um, and I think this it comes from two places, I just, you know, from the first place, I think, A, it comes from a couple of years ago when they first introduced widgets and people went crazy for the uh, there was a hashtag aesthetic AF, which was all this everyone modifying and personalizing all the all the apps, you know, all the icons and the desktops and all this stuff. Uh, and Apple realized people really, really, really want to do this. And B, mm-hmm. there's a rumor that iPhone 14 or later is going to have um, an always on screen so that. Yeah. You, you know, it's like the watch. There'll always be something there, not just black. Uh, and so they're going to they want something interesting to be there. I think they're also kind of playing catch up to uh, Android 13 a little bit, because when that came out, it has this really, really cool feature, which is actually one of my favorite aesthetic parts of Android was that everything would uh, color match to your uh, wallpaper. Oh yeah! So like you could yeah. set the whole UI to like match the wallpaper, and it was really really nice. And it's one of those things where it's not really a functionality thing; it's just another level of finish, which makes it really nice. And I think I think these all look good. It, the iPhone lock screen is a little bit stale, so it's cool to see them change it up. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because this this is a technological issue for them. They've they've held the line for a long time on this because they like. <laughs> things to be snappy they like things to be very quick everything mm-hmm. needs to move really quickly and that's been a hallmark of the way that they run their ios uh you know you want to go to the camera you're going to get to the camera real fast and when you add this kind of stuff in it there's there's a technological challenge there because you don't know what the the customer is going to put on, on their screen and is it going to slow down the experience so uh it's this is brave of them in their own fashion <laughs> yeah. yeah i have a feeling like the, the there's gonna be a, it's gonna be limited to start like the first year it's gonna there's gonna be a kind of a, a strict limitation on the things that these they're, they're, they're less widgets and more like watch complications that they're going to be able to do mm-hmm. to, to 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 account for that but as they find out how people use them. I think they're going to loosen up a bit, just like they did with widgets in general. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that's true. Um, I like the idea that you can change it with your focus mode. So you have a work focus. It, your your election can be one thing. When it's playtime, it can be another thing. Uh, I really like that idea. The, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. Plus this really cool thing where if you have a photo of a person or people or even a pet, uh, it will intelligently uh, knock them out from the from the background, and the clock will slot in behind them. There'll be like a like a masking effect for the for the clock or date and stuff. Like so, it'll be slightly behind their head. I mean, it's just it's it's a little thing, but it's kind of fun. It's kind of yeah. yeah, I like that idea. Uh, so another thing that they said they uh, announced is that uh, messages will have. I can't believe how excited we all are. Undo and edit. <laughs> <laughs> 
No more autocorrect jokes, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that just happened to me yesterday with Father Chip. Uh, we were making plans <laughs> to, that one. to go to uh, a movie. And uh, here, here, what did it say? Uh, how, well, we were talking about the re- recent episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds where they were talking about hijinks. And he says, uh, we better avoid hijinks. And I said, oh, there will be. And I typed hijinks. It autocorrected to bikinis. So it said, oh, there will be bikinis. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that's preserved for all time. I couldn't undo or edit that. So uh, in, in, it, it's it's a nice idea. I mean, how often have we received or sent messages to the wrong conversation thread or that sort of thing? So uh, yeah, I think it seems like a simple thing. I'm sure it's technologically challenging, and I'm I'm glad to see they figured out how to do it. I'd like to see how the implementation works in the real world, because I can see mm-hmm. this being very buggy and... I don't think they mentioned this in the keynote, but is there a way you can view like the history of the changes? It mm-hmm. you would you would hope that some there is some UI that says edited or something like that because you you can imagine the prank you can pull on someone where you you send a message they respond and then you edit your message in such a way as to make their response look like they're responding to something else like you know yeah like you bet and you change your message to uh did you did you say you wanted to be a nazi you know like yeah you gotta you you gotta account for such things so yeah there must be something that prevents that i I, so anything else on messages that was a quick one oh yeah i i I think this is something that people like and um i'm intrigued to see how it works and i I don't use any of the standard messaging services because i like the end-to-end encryption Oh, so Android here, so right, no, I don't. Right. I don't get it by default. Um, so I, I, I use uh, a, an end-to-end encrypted uh, SMS service, and they don't allow that. But there's lots of technical reasons why they don't. So I, it, it, come, it comes down to being interesting to see like what's going on under the hood there, right. and how it does play out in actual use. So they also mentioned that they're going to be able to do uh, improved dictation. So as it is now, when you want to dictate something to the phone, uh, it comes up with a different UI and you get this bouncing waveform. And so you have to just talk and accept whatever it does. And then when it's done, you you, could, you can go back and edit, but it's all after you've said everything you want to say. Well, now it will dictate with the keyboard on the screen so you can edit as you're talking, you know, go back and edit things. Uh, you no longer have to say punctuation like what's the weather like there question mark it'll it'll figure it out which is kind of cool and nice uh and you can also dictate emoji you can say smiley face emoji and actually get the smiley face emoji which today you can't do on on an iphone so uh that's those are kind of cool i like those uh i don't do a lot of dictation but i have siblings who do and it's really annoying because it's sometimes very hard (laughs) to understand yeah, uh, because they don't use punctuation. So uh, I'm kind of hoping this helps. Um, now, the 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 single most exciting thing from the uh, announcement f- is, is the one I'm going to me- mention next, which is iCloud shared photo library. I have concocted and created some of the most convoluted automations as a way for my wife and I to have a shared family photo album. Uh, right now, what I have is, is she has to open Dropbox on her phone every once in a while, which will download all of her latest photos into a shared folder. And then I have an automation on my computer that that sees that shared folder, imports those files into my photo library, and then saves them off to my network attached storage as a secondary backup. Um, I, this iCloud shared photo library is going to do away with all that, I, I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. So a family of up to six people can can share this secondary library. You still have your primary personal library. This is a secondary library that is shared. I think this is going to be awesome um, because there's so many times, like when you've gone on vacations and things like that, yes. you want to get everyone's photos, but there's never an easy way to do that. My one worry is, and this is more of just a personal thing, um, is getting everyone on board with it because people get very set in their ways of just, let me screenshot and just send things over text oh, and getting people wow. on board with that new thing. Like that's been my struggle with like new iOS features. <laughs> One of the, we're the, sending the lower, lower resolution version of the, uh, yes. the image. Oh man. Yes. So often. <laughs> yes. Well, the couple of things about this that are really interesting is that, for one thing, it, it has a several different ways to get things into this library. One is there'll be now be a button on the camera to send it direct to the shared library. 
So that's nice. There'll be another one where you can have it share automatically whenever you're in proximity. So if you're all together at a party or a vacation or something, you can have it set to whenever we're together and taking pictures, put those pictures into the shared library. Hmm. Uh, You can have it also, uh, I think they said this one where it will uh, do sharing suggestions like, hey, you know, these people are in this photo. Do you want to share the library? You know, and they're also part of your shared photo library. Do you want to put these photos in the library? So that sort of thing. So I think if you can, like, so if you got like your close family, like your wife or your, uh, you know, your spouse or your, your, your older kids who have phones, you could maybe set the setting on their phone and forget Mm -hmm. it. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's my hope. Hopefully. Yeah. One of the limitations is you can only have one shared photo library. So if you Mm -hmm. go on vacation with, friends say you can't do this you know or uh like i heard a podcaster saying like he went on a family vacation and his daughter's boyfriend came in they would have liked to share his photos but they wouldn't he he wouldn't want to be in their shared family library Mm -hmm. well and it's it it seems like they should be able to do an ad hoc kind of thing like that but you know where you can just have an extra one or i and you know it's apple so okay fine you pay for it but you pay like, you know, a nominal fee to have yeah. an extra shared library that has a a slightly higher limit. I will say that that is something that bothers me constantly is yeah. always having to deal with these tech companies because I have eight children and they Same. assume that nobody's going to have more than four ever. That's Same. just, yeah. you know, yes. we're being generous by giving you six. <laughs> combined like, what does it cost you to give, to give unlimited children like 10 right? children, 12 <laughs> children? I mean, it doesn't cost that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is a Catholic tech family problem. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it yeah. is. I've, I've run well, into and, this. And I mean, with the with the multi-generational use of technology that we have now, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for them to put arbitrary limitations, you know, uh, sure, limited by, uh, limited by something like I can't just have thousands of people in the thing, but higher than six seems reasonable. Yeah, to me, because you know? like like a use case that I, I would like, but this is going to be limited is because I'd like to have a shared library where it's just me and my wife and then have a shared library between like all the in-laws. So when we're on vacation together, everything goes in there, but I don't mm-hmm. want, I don't want those to be the same library. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the thing is, this, and I feel like this is again, first step in yeah. maybe if mm-hmm. this works out though, because you know, the, with the scale of things, okay, a billion people can now do this shared photo library. Uh, okay, let's see if that works. <laughs> and then we'll move on to the next one. But so hopefully that becomes more. But that six limitation is a big deal to me. I, and, mm-hmm. and I've talked mm-hmm. about it before. I, I, I have five kids. We're at the point where I want to have five different kids, you know, on different devices or at least have accounts in our family. Mm-hmm. And I can't. I'm, I've, I, the youngest she's left out <laughs> sorry you, right. you don't get anything maybe when the the oldest turns 18 and the youngest can come <laughs> can finally get in there or something but also you mentioned multi-generational people want to sometimes have their parents on their family sharing and you know that sort of thing i get where they don't want you to be able to do like netflix password sharing where like your whole neighborhood shares the same password you know where you don't want to you like your whole neighborhood is all sharing the same app library that sort of thing i get that but there are places where they can open it up, and I, I really think they should. Yeah. They could even add, like, you just pay an additional five ninety nine a month for three more users or something on iCloud. Like, yeah. you get, you, you're able to purchase different sizes for storage. Why can't you purchase different user accounts? It's not right. something they could not technically do. I, I don't see why they couldn't just open it up. Like why like I could I could see limiting apps. I could see limiting music and t- TV and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't see why you would limit shared photo library unless the infrastructure is all tied in together. The, the app and TV stuff is tied in. It's all through family sharing. I could see an argument to be made for a big shared library would make it very easy to distribute nefarious images. So that could be Uh, a consideration. Yeah. Although, yeah, I mean, again, you can do that with a Dropbox or a Google drive. Right. And you you can limit that, you know, you can limit it to a reasonable number of, say, 20 or 15 right. or something. Yeah, Ugh, I didn't think of that. Uh, well, all right. So let's move on to some other stuff that they mentioned. Um, 
is something that that is coming to both Mac OS Ventura and iPad OS 16 is something called Stage Manager, which is a new way of managing Windows. Uh, so what it does is um, it it sort of groups uh, apps Windows on the side on like the left side in these piles, and then you get the active ones in front of you and you can swap them in and out. It's kind of hard to describe. You have to kind of really look at it, go to Apple's site and take a look at it. But um, it seems, it feels to me like at least on the Mac, this is not a power user feature, but it might be yeah. nice for folks who are struggling with windows everywhere. Uh-huh. Or with, you know, yeah, yeah. The ones who have like, like my wife, who's got like, a bazillion tabs open oh, all yes. the time. Yes. <laughs> I, I have the same. And, then, and she just sauce. pops out to the tabs and she's like swiping through for a minute and a half trying to find the thing that she wants. To, yeah. I can, yeah. I can see it being useful for her. Oh, the browser restarts <laughs> and so you spend five minutes trying to find what's playing music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, I, I'm there with you. They, they also have it on the iPad Pro, but only the M1 iPad Pros. So it's because I guess it, it uses so much horsepower to do this. Yeah. Uh, so, but one of the things that, which is nice there is you finally have free form floating windows on iPad. This is like, mm-hmm. like on a desktop computer mm-hmm. or laptop computer. This is really getting into that area. So it's kind of interesting to see that they're, they're going there. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's like 75% of the way there to what I want, which I guess really is just, I want to put, mac os on my ipad because i should be able to because it's actually more powerful than my mac um yeah but i like the resizing of the windows i'm not a big fan of the whole like them floating over on the left and that kind of cluster i just i'd prefer them to be down in the dock but yeah hey if i can resize my windows that at least makes my <laughs> life a little easier uh, yeah i don't know that i'm ever gonna even if i don't have an m1 ipad but even if I had one, I'm not sure it would be something I'd want to do a lot of. And that's just, I don't use my iPad like that. You know, I just, I, I have a Mac to do Mac things and I have an iPad to do iPad things. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to like, and like, like you're right. It, uh, sitting there on the side is taking up all that space and it just feels like yeah. it's a waste of space. You, unless you have like a really huge, the 12.9 inch iPad. It it doesn't feel that bad to me. Like, honestly, looking at it, it, it really doesn't seem like, it, it would take some adjustment because mm-hmm. I think you're used to the full real estate, but yeah. you can just, I, I'm assuming that you can just like double tap the window and have it be the, the, the full, full window and then I think so. pinch back out. I, I think that's, you yeah. know, I can imagine them having some kind of hand motion that helps you get back and forth between the two of them. Yeah. Right. I think the so. way they usually, they usually do like real estate management is I'd imagine the little sidebar just auto hides kind of like the doc does when you're mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. on a window. That's right. true too. Yep. So uh, something else they mentioned, they announced was a uh, fa- uh, easier family sharing. I think this is important for a lot of our listeners. Um, they're making it easier to manage the kids' accounts. Uh, they're setting up age-appropriate restrictions. So instead of just having to go through and click and unclick things, they're saying for kids that are under this age, you might want to have these restrictions, and for kids within this age group range, you might want to have these restrictions. Now. My, my guess is I'm probably going to be more restrictive than they suggest for some for some of the kids, but it's nice that they're giving people these tools. It's right now. It's wow. There's a lot of options and a lot of buttons to click, and I'm not sure what I should be clicking. So they're mm-hmm. making it easier, easier device setup. Uh, one of the things I love is the approval request. So if you've if you have had to do this with kids who want more screen time or want a, approval to download an app, what happens is they, they request it on their device and then something pops up on your phone and your watch or your, your Mac. Uh, it's a little notification and you got to get it to it real quick or it goes away and then you got to find it again to, to, to answer the request. Well, now it's going to send those requests to messages. And so all you have to do is open up oh, messages of. and and find it there. Uh, my wife, when I told her this, she was like, "Oh, thank God, because <laughs> it's a big, a big deal." And you'll have it there as, as a yeah. consistent thing. I mean, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. That that's something that I, I and I I struggle with that with them with the Google Family uh, stuff. It's the same kind of way where right. it'll pop up a notification if I don't get to it fast enough. Then I gotta go log into the app and dig through to Hunt find the particular app. Yeah. Yeah. Right now you have to go into settings and to the, the screen time, you know, pain. And it's like, nah, 
Uh, they they announced some real some interesting personal safety advancements for people like they specifically talk about people like in an abusive relationships and you get out of an abusive relationship and sometimes with a controlling person they've made you give them passwords to your devices and other stuff like that and they talked about a safety checklist that lets you sign out of all your devices at once and manage who can access things like from one screen. And so that looked really interesting and uh, a good step. I, I'm glad. It, I, I wonder if that comes a little bit out of the criticism over air tags, uh, which Probably, is yeah. kind of interesting. I, I think they actually had somebody come in and review a lot of stuff because you, yeah. you see in several different things here that they have a broader perspective of that safety aspect that mm -hmm. individual safety mm -hmm. aspect as well as the okay yeah everybody's used to sharing things this way but what if we set it up so that it was actually set up inside of our settings and then you can switch it on or off if you want to right uh yeah i did i did see that they, in the presentation they talked about several different group domestic violence uh advocacy groups that they consulted mm -hmm. with so yeah yeah it, it does sound like that uh here's another cool one continuity camera which is going to Sherlock a few third-party apps. But basically what it, does, it says is the best camera you own is the one in your phone, probably for most people. And why, why shouldn't you be able to use it as a webcam? And so now you can, and especially if you have a phone with a MagSafe, uh, you know, the magnetic thing on the back, uh, like iPhone 12 and up, I guess there's, they're going to sell these stands, but you can use whatever kind of stand you want, but you bring your phone wirelessly near your computer and now it will be recognized as a webcam for not just FaceTime, but for all the video conferencing apps. So I'm wondering maybe even for like Google meet or zoom, like we use Google meet, but that would be kind of cool. The way that it's implemented, it looks like it's just going to view it as a hardware webcam. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although it does take advantage of some features of the uh, phone, like this, it does center stage, which is where like it follows you. Like if you move in it around in the frame, it'll follow you like a like a cameraman on the phone thing. You can do portrait view. So it gives you a bokeh in the back. Uh, and then this desk view thing where uh, this is just this is just sorcery where the phone is looking at you, but you can have it switch to a view of your desk so you can like be demonstrating things on your desktop without turning the phone to face it, but it uses the ultra wide lens and then it's like reversing and mm -hmm. flipping or whatever. And it, I just amazing. It's fantastic. What a brilliant idea. Yeah. I, this, this is the kind of thing that Mac does so well. It's mm -hmm. closing the environment, right? Where it, yeah. it knows all of the capabilities of the phone and the lenses that it has. And closing that environment where if you have a Mac laptop and a Mac phone, you can just snap the one on the other and it uses all of the capabilities in that phone to do all of the things that you want it to do. Mm -hmm. It's, it's brilliant. This is yeah. really like, these, this is the area where they really shine in yeah. releasing things in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going, you will definitely be having an episode where I'll be doing that. With, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> on, on Secrets Attack where the, my phone will be the, uh, the camera. Um, so although I want to have, I'm going to want to plug it into battery because I'm going to guess it's going to use a lot of battery on that. That's like, I'm going to want to plug it into power to charge it unless that MagSafe, uh, Belkin is also going to sell the uh, MagSafe stands for the phones for the, the webcam view. So maybe those will be also like MagSafe chart, like, uh, you know, cheat charger. Yeah. Wireless charger. Yeah. yeah that'd be nice. Sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. So another thing that they announced, which I think is have a broad appeal to our our audience is medication tracking and logging. Uh, this is something that I think is like my wife and I talk about this all the time and our kids take various medications. We take various medications and with seven of us, it can be hard to keep track who's taking what, when, and what are they taking? So it's going to use, you can be able to use this on your phone and your watch to track your medications to, it'll give you reminders of when you need to take it. It will log when you've taken it. Uh, and uh, it will also pop up drug interactions and you can enter all your medications by scanning the label, just taking a photo of the label and it will be smart enough to pick up, you know, 
drug, the, what the medication is, the dosing and all of that stuff just by looking at the label. Because a lot of that standardized information to begin with, you know, the way that it's presented on the labels. And then it will tell you, hey, do you know that if you're taking this vitamin and this medication at the same time, it can have this weird interaction. You might want to talk to your doctor about that. And so, like, just I really love the idea of helping us because I use like three apps now to help me keep track. I have like I use do, which is a nagging reminder app to remind me to take my after dinner medicine that I'm supposed to take. And, you know, just and then I have uh, you know, another one that that I use to, to log that I've taken certain things. So this is going to be much better, I hope. Yeah, these are these are the kind of things where like the quality of life updates where it's really just bringing it all together like we've had all these things same thing with the safety stuff they have all this stuff out and it's like they're finally because they've laid all the groundwork they can start like bringing it all together yeah it was fascinating watching their presentation on the watch os because they've clearly decided the watch does three things it does fitness it does sleep tracking and it does health stuff and I mean, mm-hmm. that's really the, the, the three areas that they, they you know, they, obviously they're, they're, they let it do other things, too. But those are the three main areas that people use it. And they're really leaning into those things. So it was kind of interesting. So they also did a very interesting presentation on some future tech stuff that's not really even on the table for this year for CarPlay. Now, in case you, you have an older car like me, you don't have CarPlay. What CarPlay and Android Auto is the Android version of this does is it lets your phone kind of take over as the entertainment center. It lets your phone uh, do, you know, put a screen up on the dash that has your apps and has navigation stuff and music stuff and all, you know, podcasts, that sort of stuff on your dash rather than having to fiddle with your phone. Well, they're taking the next step and they want to take over the whole dashboard, all of the what's called driver informatics and you know, the speedometer, the tachometer, like all of that stuff. And this is the sort of thing that requires them to, uh, you know, for the automakers to say, we're handing this over to you, Apple. Like, and I just find that really amazing that, and hard to believe that Ford or Toyota is going to just say, here, Apple, take over the dashboard. So I think there's something else going on here, but I'll let you respond to that first. I I don't know. I I don't, I think that, that car makers are starting to get out of the business of making computers. And, okay. and I think they've, they've gotten to the point where they realize, look, we're going to make computers for the things that matter inside our car, but all of this UI stuff, forget about it. That's not, yeah. that's not our field. And when you get to the point where you can have, when you, where you have companies that are stepping in with a solution, uh, you know, and so you can do the bare minimum where everything is displayed. It, it looks like a traditional car, so there's not not a whole bunch of uh, bells and whistles there. Uh, but then it's also just got an API that's really easy to use. That's really easy to engage with. Um, it makes your job so much easier. And then to yeah. say, OK, well, this this person, they, they have an Apple phone. They like to see all of their UI in that Apple way, the flat images and, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, then we'll, we'll just hand it over to Apple and let them take over that and I, I think that's that's more where it's coming from is that they just don't want to be in the game of making user interfaces i just want to be able to put uh, l cars on my car <laughs> the star trek <laughs> interface yes you know, yes that actually wow that would be really cool but <laughs> uh, but you I mean they I, some of the video the stuff that they showed in their video was really kind of fascinating because you had like the speedo- like the, the whole dash was a screen and you mm-hmm. had the speedometer kind of floating above what looked like a big 3D map of your mm-hmm. driving environment. Like, so rather than having to look over here at the at your phone screen and try to discern, you know, your path, it's all laid out in this big screen in front of you. And it was just fascinating. But I think there's something else. They, and they said first cars with this will be late 2023. And they had a whole bunch of car makers listed, including the usual, like, you know, BMW and Aston Martin and that sort of stuff. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm not certain about Aston Martin, but if they if anybody was to do it, the Bond car maker would be the ones to do it. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, I think this is Apple giving us a glimpse at the future Apple car because mm. I, I, I kind of feel like it felt kind of out of place, honestly, that like suddenly we get this the car play of the future, like in this discussion of stuff that's coming out this year. And I'm like, huh. This all this talk about Apple having its own car, and there was a lot of negative talk recently about it. 
you know, oh, I wouldn't want to drive in a car with, because somebody said it, it wouldn't have any windows, which I think is stupid, but because uh, <laughs> it'll be like self-driving. Oh, it won't have windows, right? I get yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, actually, that might have been the joke that I didn't get, but I, I'm pretty sure they thought it was the other thing, too. Um, but um, actually, that's pretty good. So I think they were showing us maybe a little bit of, look, this is what the Apple car is, you know, a hint at the Apple car. I don't know. That's just my guess. Um, so. Uh, whatever it is, it's going to be very expensive and I will not be able to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, right. I'm not going to buy a whole new car just to have a nice UI. <laughs> no kidding. So, uh, the net, the, so speaking of hardware, they mentioned some hardware, uh, not the stuff a lot of people thought they mentioned the, the new M2 generation of Apple Silicon chips. So that was a little unexpected. I, I didn't, and a lot of people didn't think that was coming until the fall, but they, they, they rolled it out. And they said, uh, basically, you know, who knows that, you know, they, they claim it's 18% faster than the same level of M1 chip from last year. Uh, the ones that were in the, uh, the MacBook Air in, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then they show the charts without numbers that like, look, see how much better ours is than the other guys. It's like if you put numbers on that, we could really, you know, prove that. Anyway, uh, that's just marketing. <laughs> so. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be science. We're not supposed to test it. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Pay no, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the M1 chips were really awesome. Uh, these are yeah. not as big of a jump, of course, as the M1 was over the Intel chips, but it's still a, a pretty decent improvement. 18% faster is not not chump change for this same generation. Now, now not 18% faster than the M1 Ultra, uh, that's the was the most powerful M1 chip. This is 18% faster than the M1 n- nothing chip, you like know, the from baseline, before. Yeah. the base. Yeah, the baseline chip. Uh, and so if you have a new M2, you need a new computer to put it in. So they gave us a brand new redesigned MacBook Air, which uh, is 11 millimeters thick, which it has a headphone jack, which hallelujah. Uh, but the, the computer is like a, a thin like the sliver of aluminum wider than that headphone jack. It was really close tolerances there. Um, it's really thin and kind of box a little bit boxy. Um, yeah. They've it, gone away from the old, uh, the old wedge shape. It's, it's yeah. got the same design language as the newer MacBook pros. Right. And the, in the uh, new IMAX, the 24 inch IMAX, the same sort of squared off, uh, but it has MagSafe charging, which is nice. I'm glad they figured that out that people wanted that two and two thunderbolt ports and starts at 1199 comes in silver space gray midnight and starlight which i think is like like a blue black and uh i don't know something off white pinkish color. yeah yeah um they also had a, a 13 inch macbook pro which is the same old design of the as last year's macbook pro just with an m2 chip in it and that's 1299 so uh, that MacBook Air looks really nice. I If I were buying one of these, I don't know why anyone would buy the MacBook Pro. Uh, the uh, The MacBook Air is is going to be just as good as that. And the MacBook Pro doesn't bring anything to the table, really, I, I don't think, over the uh, uh, the MacBook Air. But what do yeah, you guys think definitely. of these these new laptops? I actually, um, so I have the original Mac, the M1 MacBook Air, and it's the best laptop i've ever owned so if i was mm-hmm. in the market for a laptop i'd definitely be looking at this nice nice uh for anyone who's on an intel mac this is a big jump so yeah, yeah. it's bizarre how this this the, these numbers don't sound unreasonable to me like they did you know even a decade ago or even five years ago you know macs were just outside of like any kind of but i i don't know i, I guess what they've been doing has been so consistent that they haven't had to jack their prices up as much as everybody else has to mm-hmm. keep up with the market that's out there. So that's I've, good. Seen, I've seen some things that they're so big that they can dictate prices because they, they buy in mm-hmm. such bulk that they pretty much can dictate, you know, better pricing and that's how they keep their prices reasonable. And yeah, 1199 for a computer of this power is right, right around where your Intel and AMD laptops are. So Yeah. I would say if you're going to to get equivalent performance, you're probably going to be paying closer to 1500. Yeah. Or, or yeah, more. yeah look, wow. Looking at it, I, looking at it, I was thinking, I'm thinking 15, 1600 for mm-hmm. comparable mm-hmm. and, and you're not, and, and in that you're not getting something that's designed as well, that that looks as sleek, that, 
is going to integrate with every single other device that you own (laughs) if you're on a mac environment you know so there's a there's a lot to commend here i I think i i am being swayed by the by the environment (laughs) issue here and it's because my wife you know my wife uses uh she's got an iphone and so she's been talking about the fact that her computer doesn't integrate with her phone she's been kind of sad about (laughs) like okay fine i hear you (laughs) come to the dark side do it Uh, do it one of us one One of of us us. (laughs) so uh and I would say they also kept the uh, M1 MacBook Air in the line at 10.99 and 9.99 at the education price point. And if you are looking to buy a, a Mac for a college student this fall, that is an excellent computer. Mm-hmm. I would highly suggest you check them out. Uh, that uh, it, that would be a good investment. So just suggesting that. So they didn't talk about a few things uh, in, in amongst all the stuff they did talk about. Uh, one of the things they didn't talk about on the stage was TVOS, but they but we did hear about later that there were some improvements. Uh, there they have HDR10. Um, I saw someone talking about like Samsung QLED uh, TVs don't offer Dolby Vision, but if you have a Apple TV running TV, the latest TVOS, it will give you HDR10, which is just as good or something along those lines. I'm not sure. It seemed very technical to me um but uh something also something about being able to use more game controllers like the uh, nintendo joy cons and other stuff so that's that's the coolest part there is that you can actually use the joy cons on it um and i think i i think honestly that what the problem there is that tv tech has peaked like mm-hmm. they're really like you honestly a a human being without having a like 70 inch tv is not going to be able to see the difference between right 1080 and 2k and 4k like it's just it just doesn't happen you know and if you have a 70 inch tv the difference between 2k and 4k you're not going to see it you're just not well they're already talking about 8k now i mean just i know i (laughs) well there's gonna come a point where where it can it'll look literally like looking through like a window right i mean that's that's eventually Mm -hmm. that where they go they want to go but i think a big thing that holds back the apple tv not apple tv plus that's the service that's a whole different ball of wax the apple tv hardware is so much of it depends on third parties so when I go on my Apple TV, I'm um, in Netflix or Paramount or HBO Max or something along those lines. And so to improve all that, you've got to get them to make things better. And that's even less, you know, it's even more so than on the phone. You know, it's more re- uh, reliant on the apps. So uh, and then the other thing we didn't get was a mention of the Mac Pro, which was very interesting, especially given that. At the last announcement they made a few months ago, they teased that the Mac Pro was coming. Maybe that was because we weren't going to hear anything about it at this event. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's kind of fascinating because it makes you wonder, well, so what's the Mac Pro going to have in it that sets it apart from, say, the Mac Studio? And I'm going to guess it's going to be a M2 Ultra chip or of some kind or something along those lines. That's just going to be some ridiculous, like, Frankensteining six chips into one with, a, you know, welding them <laughs> together uh, or something along those lines. And it's going to cost some ridiculous amount of money because it's only going to be for people like Lucasfilm and, and that sort of thing. So, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, serious graphic designers and movie editors, right. right. People making those 8k video streams. Right. right? Yep. <laughs> so that's the, uh, the Apple announcements in a, in a nutshell. Again, we, I, I, I go into the details a, because I'm a, I'm an Apple nut and we all know it, but also because so many people, you know, iPhone is probably the most popular phone out there. And so, so many people have them, this affects so many of us. And uh, I think there's a lot of interest in what they're going to, what's coming next on your phone. I think the good thing about Mac is like, it's pushing the entire tech industry forward. So, you know, it's, and it's been doing that for decades. so looking at this kind of stuff, it's not like we're we're focusing only on Mac because the stuff that they do here, it's going to trickle down to all right. the other things that are out there. We'll see some of this stuff on on Android phones and in other mm-hmm. places on Windows and that sort of stuff. Yes, that will happen. And let's be honest and give weird credit where credit's due. Some of this stuff has come from Google and right. Microsoft. So <laughs> credit where credit's due. Those lock screen things, yes. you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Had that for a while. <laughs> all right, we have a few headlines I want to get to, but first I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Eric, Brian B, Peter G, 
J. Michael T. and Sam M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So our first headline is interesting. It says it, it's a little bit clickbaity because it's not exactly what's going on, but China is 3D printing a massive 590 foot tall dam and constructing it without humans. So they, <laughs> I don't know. Everything is 3D printing these days, but what it is is China is got this plan to build this full size 590 foot tall dam, uh, you know, on this river without humans using unmanned construction equipment, robotic construction equipment. Uh, now that mm-hmm. sounds fascinating to me. And I think it's, it's, it's wild if they can pull it off. But what do you guys think of this? I think it's cool. I think it is. I'm, I'm starting to feel like 3d printing is becoming a buzzword, like uh, AI yeah. and machine learning for a lot <laughs> yeah, of things so. because <laughs> by this, the way they're talking about it and they don't really give you like a ton of details yet, but I feel like I could go outside and pour some concrete into a square from a bucket and say I 3D printed a sidewalk. I mean, <laughs> at what point is it just, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and, and what's more interesting here is the is the assembly right. system that they have going on. And so basically, if you took like an Amazon warehouse and put it into an environment where it was building something, uh, so you like t- took all of the robots that are moving around the Amazon warehouse, just finding stuff to s- ship out in the mail and put it into kind of a wild environment and said, here, we're going to build something and gave it a basic structure of what was going to build and then set it to to start. That's the really interesting thing here. Yeah. Not the three. I mean, 3D printing a dam. There are limitations that you would run into there, but it's really not that complicated. You just kind of scale put the yeah 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 and that's that's all it is it's just making sure that everything's tall enough for the 3d printer nozzle to be able to move back and forth and if it's pouring concrete is it really 3d printing i don't know it's kind of, yeah <laughs> so the, what you it know, says it's a <laughs> the machinery will automated machinery will deliver construction materials to the work site the exact location needed eliminating human error they say uh computers can have human error but okay and then Unmanned bulldozers, pavers, and rollers will form the dam layer by layer. Sensors on the rollers will keep the AI system informed about the firmness and stability of each of the 3D printed layers until it reaches 590 feet in height. This is actually how the ancient Egyptians built the pyramid. I know we don't know it for real, but the aliens gave them this technology. So Aliens 3D printed the pyramids. You heard it here. <laughs> Next on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I like this. This is a really yeah. cool story. It's it is, it, yeah. it's yes, it's clickbaity, but um, I I love seeing this kind of new stuff that we're doing with uh, with robots and 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 a lot of people are like, well, it's putting people out of work. And I think the the thing you need to remember is that what we're doing is moving people out of that dangerous field work and into another spot because somebody needs to be there to manage the robots. Somebody needs to be there to manage the materials. Uh, all of that, all the supply chain stuff is still an issue and it requires a little more training possibly, uh, but that's not bad either because it means that we're having to train people up out of mm-hmm. those dangerous environments and more into the spots where humans are really reasonable to look at a robot when it's coming back and saying, that thing's not going to do what it's supposed to do going back out there yeah. and yeah. making that decision for the machine. Also, China, people don't realize that China is facing a potential population implosion. Like everyone seems mm-hmm. to like thinks of China as the giant population that's growing out of control. It's actually about to have a demographic implosion. And so, you know, taking over a lot of these labor intensive jobs and automating them is going to be something they're going to have to do in the not distant future. Mm-hmm. So our next story is one I picked for you guys because I thought you'd like this one. It's a. Uh, Hewlett Packard HP is going to is going to be selling a new developer focused notebook called Dev One that will be running a Linux OS called Pop OS, which we've talked about before. And uh, there's some speculation. I was like, wow, why would they be doing this? That maybe HP is looking at buying the 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 creator of uh, Pop OS System seventy six and uh, and just bring them in house. So, what do you think of this idea of you know a developer focused laptop that runs pop os linux 
I think that if you're a developer who wants a Linux-based laptop, you're going to be installing your own distro to begin with, so it doesn't matter yeah. what the company is going to be sticking on it. Uh-huh. Uh, my biggest worry is that one of the cool things about System76 was that they were a small, independent computer maker. I mean, they weren't like manufacturing everything in-house, obviously, but they were building things, and they apparently, I've never bought anything from them, but they apparently have really good customer service and a really good build quality on their systems. And if HP buys them, they're going to be totally ruined because I don't think I've bought an HP. The last time I bought an HP computer for myself, it died within a year. And then we just had four die within the past year at my company because they decided to switch to from Dell to HP. And so I don't trust HP to do anything right, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they need to acquire a company like uh, like System76. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, you, you, can always, you can always hope that the acquisition of the smaller company makes a culture change in the larger company. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, Thomas, what do you think of this laptop and with the, with the OS? I mean, the same idea? Yeah, I, I, well, I, essentially what you're buying is the hardware for the laptop. And um, I don't know. I mean, I just wouldn't I, I wouldn't buy an HP, honestly, to do. Uh, I just wouldn't buy an HP laptop. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't buy an HP laptop. But I, but, it, you know, I, I like the idea of not binding it to another operating system that is as entrenched and you know because if you have to get windows updates and windows uh support and all that kind of stuff you go to mac or to microsoft to do that you don't go uh to the community whereas mm-hmm. with pop os you go to the community and you say i'm, I'm having this problem i'm running the, these dev environments i have this problem what's going on and somebody in the community is going to know and they're going to be able to answer you and get you a, get you a solution or possibly even change the operating system to fit the way that things are working um, with whatever development system you're running. So mm. I like this because it, it, it advances computing more. Uh, and that, that's the thing I really like about open source software is that it, it causes that advancing of the whole environment, not just mm. the, the things that the developers at that company decide to pick up on. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting, this idea of, selling a laptop with a non windows, you know, a, a PC laptop without, with Linux on it. Um, and maybe like something like Papa West, which we've talked about before as being sort of a, uh, the sort of thing that can be for the mainstream selling into schools and, you know, get, you know, sort of instead of schools, either getting Chromebooks or Macs, maybe they get, you know, a Linux computers that really introduce kids to open source and that sort of thing. And that would be an interesting idea for uh, a laptop. Now this is aimed at, they say it's aimed at developers, but it would be an interesting idea to see this in schools. Yeah, so. definitely. I know that Dell for a while gave Ubuntu as an option on some of their computers. I don't know if they still do that. Cause I don't know if it really caught on, but I know for a while at least you could actually select a non windows OS for your machine when you were buying it from them. Okay. Yeah, and I and I will say that as a developer, if depending on what kind of development work you're doing, obviously, um, having a command line that's in Linux format is a majority of the time you spend trying to set up for stuff. (laughs) So you end up having if you're on Windows, you end up having to download a uh, you know a command line that runs Linux style commands and getting it to cooperate with your system and recognize all the different things that you have on your so. You know, to just start off with a Linux command line is actually really nice, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So our our third headline for this time is interesting. It, it kind of baffled me a little bit, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, is uh, The headline is consumers embrace milk carton QR codes and may cut food waste. And I'm a little baffled because so it, it cites this study at Cornell University that has found that consumers will use the QR codes on milk cartons over use by and best by dates that are printed on the milk cartons to better depict how long the milk is drinkable and create less agriculture and food waste. And nowhere in the article does it actually address why. Like, why is a QR code where I have to scan it and information it gives me information as opposed to just looking at the date? Why is the scanning the QR code better? What is that QR code telling me? That's really, I think, would be the difference, right? Maybe it's a novelty kind of thing or people are like, ooh, I can I have smart milk. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, 
okay so it is actually yeah. like um because I, I i wanted to see and that they had they do link a, a research paper and so the only thing that i can gather is what's going on here is that there is this monte carlo simulation running in the background that the qr code is attached to that particular batch of milk whatever batch that particular carton of milk came from and you you scan the qr code and it tells you that batch was treated this way it had these things happen to it so it's got a longer expected shelf life than this other carton of milk that you know was produced in this other way so it kind of tells you how well how good this batch is as opposed to another batch whereas dates printed on the carton are just this these were all cart all these cartons were filled on this day with whatever milk went into it yeah Okay. That's what it sounds like. I I don't know a hundred percent, and and I'm sure that you know, on from a grocery store's perspective, they want the worst possible case. Like this milk is 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 it could possibly go bad by this time. Right. And, whereas maybe uh, one batch of milk, I don't know, it's got another month after that time period that it could be right. reasonably good. So yeah. yeah I could see some room here. It's it's interesting to think that people are using QR codes rather well, than just reading something that's on the carton. The article know. kind of reveals a little bit, which is the study was done at the Cornell University Dairy Bar. Apparently yeah. they have a dairy bar. So <laughs> what you've got is a highly educated college, probably tech-friendly environment that you're doing this in. This isn't mm-hmm. in your average Piggly Wiggly somewhere in you know, middle America. This is, this is, uh, this is the yeah. milk nerds. <laughs> yeah. Right. Milk for <laughs> nerds. And they're going to be pure. Now there were a couple of things in this that I thought were interesting, which is you doing things like having dynamic pricing so that, uh, milk that is, as the milk gets closer to its expiration date, the price goes down. I could see that there would be people like people like my family. We go through a gallon of milk every two days. You know, I, I'll take the milk. Oh, that's that going it? Take that, you two days. I, know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there are days when, it, when it's one day. Yeah, uh, I, I could. I know people who have milk fridges. I mean, I, I would buy a gallon of milk that's going to go bad tomorrow with no worries. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So if I could if I could do the dynamic milk pricing, sure, I'd buy milk that was that was less expensive. Uh, sure. I think, so there were some things in this, in this article that I thought were fast, were a good idea. Very interesting. So. Um. Yeah. I guess my biggest question would be that a lot of this requires the buy-in of like all the grocery chains. And then the QR code is convenient for the users, but none of this is data they don't already have. So if they, yeah. they already have the data for when the milk is going to go bad. So they don't have that flexible pricing. So I kind of doubt this would push them in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the that's in the best interest of the grocery stores because they have a lot of waste. They end up throwing away stuff that yeah. they could potentially move if they had a more dynamic ability to reprice things. So there's that. But I also think that, it is possible that there might be if you get more information on the consumer, like if the QR codes give you more data in a in a f- consumer friendly format, um, that's more specific about the particular gallon of milk that you're looking at. That might be a good thing, but I, I don't know if people. Like I'm buying milk at the grocery store. I get a cart full of food. The ice cream is melting. I just need a gallon of milk. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> stopping to scan things. I have a hard enough time keeping my phone open for my grocery list, let alone scanning the items. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It, it would have to be something that that is popping up there. And oh, don't get me started on the Walgreens. Uh, we've replaced the freezer doors with screens thing. That's a whole nother abomination. Oof. I don't know if you guys have seen yeah. that yet, but our local Walgreens has decided to replace uh, the perfectly useful see through glass to see what's actually in the case with screens now. So that uh, it, you know, as you approach, it cha- it senses your presence and changes to show you what's inside, except it doesn't always show you what's exactly what's mm-hmm. inside. And so now instead of knowing exactly what I'm looking for, I have to open each case to look for the thing I'm wanting, you know. <laughs> it's more waste. Yeah, more waste. But yeah, some, somebody had a great idea at a meeting. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's our headlines this week. Uh, so let's get to our picks of the week. And Thomas, you're up first. All right. So for my pick of the week, um, 
we're book nerds around my house. We read a lot of books. Um, we don't typically buy them. We tend to get them from the library, but every once in a while you do want a physical copy of a book that you're going to hold on to for a while. So uh, rather than going to Amazon, which I know Amazon is like, that's, that's their noteworthy thing is that they sell books. Uh, I recommend going to thriftbooks.com and you can find some fantastic deals on books there. Uh, and, and you might not, you might think, okay, it's not that big a deal, but you, you can get some pretty deep cuts, especially on, uh, big books like textbooks and things like that. You can get some, uh, pretty good cuts on them, uh, by going here and it's, they have a lot of new books that you can buy. You can also buy used books and they are good about rating them. Any of the used books that I've gotten have been clearly rated at whatever quality they are. And it's actually that quality when it gets to me. Uh, so if you are a book nerd and you like having physical copies of books on your shelf, I definitely recommend going here and, uh, and finding them thriftbooks.com. Yeah, definitely. This is my uh, wife's 100% her favorite website. <laughs> yeah. She's my wife's the one that recommended this to me as well. She's like, you should totally. It's good for cookbooks. That's where we, that's what we end oh. up getting a lot of on here because you know, cookbooks can be kind of expensive yeah. and, a lot of times what you'll find is a used cookbook that someone got and wants to sell and they never used it, but you know, it's, they're selling it for half the price that you're going to find it anywhere else. So there you go. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Cookbooks are one of those things where they're, they're awesome gifts, you know, Oh, yeah, someone got a gift of a cookbook mm -hmm. and the person who got it was like, lovely and never cooks a thing out of it. You know, <laughs> right. It's, it's on a shelf. Yeah. Nice. That's a good idea. All right, Jack, what's your pick this week? My pick of the week is uh, actually a tech tip. Um, so I've been doing a lot of stuff um, I've talked about before with like the iPods and flash modding them. And something I've encountered, which I've always kind of known about in the back of my head, is that flash memory, um, like SD cards and SSDs and MVME drives and stuff like that, you really do not want to buy generic brand versions or off-brand versions because the quality is garbage. So like I bought five, five or six SD cards. Two of them were uh, SanDisk cards, and the other three were various off-brand cards on Amazon. And they're like twenty-five percent cheaper. And all three of them have failed within two months. Wow! So you just you never know what the quality of the silicon is going to be in there. And like it's not even it's not one of those things where oh yeah you're paying for the name brand. No, you're actually paying for something that's functional versus something that is almost one hundred percent going to be garbage. Yeah, well, I, I would say when you, when once you get is like one out of ten or one out of twenty actual on brand uh, drives are going to be bad when they get to you. They just yeah. are. It's, right. it's yeah. just going to happen. You know, there's no way a budget company is going to be able to make it work. <laughs> I had something tangentially related to that, which is I I have uh, ring cameras and I bought a couple of uh, off brand ring camera batteries and. I went to go grab one off the charger to stick it in the camera and it was hot to the touch, like painfully hot to the touch. Mm. And it smelled. And I'm like, uh, I'm getting this out of my house. I took it outside, threw it in a bucket and left it in the driveway. And it was smoldering. I was waiting for Ooh. the thing to burst into flame. I'm like, that is the last time I buy a, anything with a battery in it that is not name brand. I'm just not going to, yeah. not going to buy off brand battery powered stuff. That was bad idea. Bad idea. So, that's the thing with one of the big problems with Amazon right now. And we could probably talk about this at some point in a segment, uh, just how much junk is there and how mm -hmm. dangerous it is to buy stuff on Amazon when you don't know where it comes from. It's, it's a huge problem for Amazon. All right. So my pick this week is something for you Mac users, since we've been talking Mac stuff and it is from a company called Satechi. If you have a Mac mini, this is for you. And I'm kind of hoping they make a Mac studio version of this. This would be kind of cool. Uh, but it's, it's a stand and hub for your Mac mini. And it's, it's got the same exact footprint and we'll look, it's made from the same kind of aluminum. So it looks almost like part of your, your a Mac mini. And it, what it does is it adds a whole bunch of ports. It adds a bunch of USB, a ports, a uh, USB C SD card slots, a headphone jack. Uh, and uh, it, it, and it all right there on the front of it. So that, and of course it uses one port on the back of your Mac mini. So you still get the rest of those ports. And so it's just, you know, a way to be able to get more stuff there. And it doesn't clutter up your desk with another big honking 
thing like my 16 port USB hub that I bought that I was raving about a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, so it's a uh, $79, uh, which is not cheap, but it's, it's really good quality. It's, it's heavy. It's like made of something, uh, you know, it's, it's got, it's substantial. Uh, it's got a, it's, it's designed to hold the Mac mini in it. So it's got an indentation where the bottom of the Mac mini fits in. So it's really nice. They also sell something similar which is which has an SSD drive in it, uh, so it's the uh, that is the stand-in hub with SSD enclosure, and so you can add a second drive in there. So it's got all the same ports, mm. but then you can add another SSD drive internal to it. So you could as a backup or secondary data storage that sort of thing. That one's uh, ninety-nine. So, uh, so that's that's my pick. All right, that should do it for us this time. We would love to hear your comments on anything we talked about today, including the stuff that Apple announced today and any of our headlines. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology. Go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord, where we're having great conversations with our community of listeners. It's a lot of fun to interact with you folks there. Uh, and away from Facebook and Twitter, where it's just a mess. And <laughs> this is our little space on the internet, and we, we'd love to, uh, to, join, to, to get together with you there. You'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. It really helps us a lot when you write a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or one of the podcast directories it, and then share the podcast with your friends to help us grow this community of listeners. We'd like to thank James for his research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Thomas and Erho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. It's been great, Tom. Thanks. And Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.